I started last week a two-week series on what makes a champion. How do you win in life? And I concluded, based on my 52 years plus, that I've never met anyone that said, I just want to be a loser, right? But reality is very few people know how to win and how to win consistently. So that's what we're going to continue to talk about. If you missed that message last week, go to thecrossloganville.org. All of our messages are there. You can see everything that we've done. Also included there, you will find our sermon notes from our our previous sermons. And uh, they're all free for you to use. We would love for you to take advantage of that. Or if you've got like an iPhone or whatever, you can go to podcast and type in the Cross Loganville and just subscribe and you'll get all of our messages week after week. So as my one little girl that I just prayed with, this beautiful lady, is getting ready to go to Texas, she's going to go to TCU, you can access the Cross Loganville, baby, and you can stay with us no matter where you're at. So that's the good thing, right? It it really is. And so uh, I would invite you to open up again your bulletin and just say, Lord, speak to my heart. I desire to respond to you in obedience. I want to walk in the fullness and the power of the gospel. And I want to glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. So what makes a champion? Now, I shared three observations last week that I want to kind of recapture. I talked about having this passion for Christ. And I made mention that it requires agitation of the soul, motivation of the will, and desperation of of the heart. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that as we roll into today's word. Agitation of the soul means that I've reached a place where I'm disgusted with myself. It means I've reached a place where I'm refusing to live in denial any longer. It means that I've reached that place where I'm sick and tired of stable misery, mediocrity, and just living a life of complacency. I now have found myself like looking in the mirror going, the agitation of the soul, I can't stay stuck. I can't stay where I'm at. Now, motivation of the will would be where you're before God saying, I desperately desire to be healthy. John chapter 5, Jesus poses the question, do you want to get well? Well, that is where we have to start. I want to get well. I want to be healthy. I want to move deeper into who you desire me to be. So that means I desire to meet God on God's terms. I don't reduce him down to manageable terms to try to create a God uh, that just I like. I embrace him for who he is. I desire to embrace Jesus as my savior and my king. So it has to be the motivation of the will based on Based on the soul becoming so disturbed that I go, all right, I've got to change. And then it leads us to this desperation of the heart. Desperation of the heart is a beautiful place to be. Desperation is where you surrender and submit to the lordship and authority of Jesus Christ and you give him the reins. Back to Romans 12, he says, uh, you crawl on the altar, which means you give him the pen and you ask him to write the narrative of your story. Make sense? So this has got to happen in our soul if we're going to win in life. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, do you not know that those who run in a race, they all run, 
but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. How do I win? How do I win? As I've said, agitation of the soul, motivation of the will that leads to desperation of the heart where I surrender to the lordship, kingship of Jesus Christ. And now I start to stay in the lane that God's called me to run in in life. Come on. Makes sense. So the race is all about Jesus. Now, here's some things I wrote down as far as characteristics of a champion. Characteristics of a spiritual champion. A champion, spiritually speaking before the Lord, can handle disapproval and rejection of others. If you're codependent upon the applause and the approval and the attention that other people give you, you will throw in the towel. So you have to reach a point where the rejection and disapproval of others is not a motivating factor. To say it another way, if you're motivated by praise, you will always be deflated by criticism. You have to be motivated by who you are in Christ. Now, even as a champion, when you're booed, it hurts. When you're dogged, slandered, it hurts. But... A champion cares but doesn't carry all of those burdens and weights around with them. So so you're going to experience this in life. Rejection, disapproval. You're not going to be applauded for every thought and concept and idea you have unless you live with yourself all the time. Right? But we live in a world where you have to do life with other people. Here's another thing. A champion is able to focus on the task at hand. The the task at hand. And we live in a society of competing influences. We were talking about this the other night. Uh, My buddy Luke, who just sang that powerful song right there. We, We were talking about this. The apathy that is in this generation of 15 to 25 year olds. It's amazing. But we didn't have all these competing influences at that time. All we had was Pong. Remember that one? We had this little video game, and when we first played Pong, we thought we had landed on the moon. You can turn on your iPhone or iPad now. You can be looking at one thing, all of a sudden get buzzed and go to a message and run to an email, and you can have 48 stinking apps going at the same time, and you become ADD just with this one little tool. So we live in a society of competing influences, but a champion is able to focus on the task at hand. He eliminates a lot of the distractions. He don't care what everybody is saying on social media, be it Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. For some of us, we derail when we get there. We we start reading some of this other noise, and before you know it, we're already defeated. Right? We get frustrated. Uh, A a, a champion, their time is not spent on unproductive thoughts. They don't go there. They're not restricted to traditional ways. They're not superstitious. I played baseball with guys that were so superstitious. I'm telling you. I mean, guys that would leave the dugout to run out to start the next inning, and they would have to jump over the foul line. And then they would jog onto the mound. And I'm like, why do you jump over the foul line? Well, the last time I kicked it, I gave up five runs. And I feel like every time I kick the foul line, I have a bad inning. So I just jump over it. 
that foul line has anything to do with you throwing a baseball? I don't think so. But then they would take the rosin bag and it had to be in a certain place. Turk Wendell, who pitched for a while, I mean, he was a trip. He used to brush his teeth in between every inning. He didn't even chew or dip. And the closest person to him was 60 feet away as a catcher. I'm like, nobody's smelling your breath, dude. You're not hitting on any chicks while you're out there. No, but people get into crazy superstitions, right? I met guys playing. They would wear the same socks every day. Praise God, they washed them, but they, why are you wearing that? And, 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 and champions don't do that. They don't have all these superstitions because it's not of God and it's not going to take you anywhere. A champion refuses to equate failure with self-worth. Get this one. Failure with self-worth. Difference in guilt and shame. Guilt is something I did. Shame is who I am. A lot of people walk through life in shame, empowering what they did to become who they are. Praise God for guilt and conviction, but in Christ, I don't have to walk in shame because what I did was what I did, but it's not who I am. And a lot of people stay stuck there. Champions fail. Every champion I've ever been around, the most successful of all, have failed. But they fail forward. They fail by getting up. They fail by keep moving on. They fail, but they fail forward. If you're going to fail forward, here's what I wrote. You've got to quit making excuses. Anybody like being around people that just always are making excuses? They deflect. It's always somebody else's fault. The reason they are where they are is because... No, no, own your stuff. You're jacked up. We know it. We all suffer from depravity under humanity. Just own it. Quit making excuses. Admit your mistakes. Confront your fears. Let's keep growing. That's the only way uh, you're going to grow. That's the only way you can become a champion. A champion has the courage to risk failure, knowing that setbacks are lessons to learn from. Do you know how you grow? A lot of times it's through that experience you just had that could be a bad experience. Experience is not always a good teacher, but it is the only school a fool will ever attend. But when you're able to learn from your experiences, you're able to grow. And so it's like, hey, risk it, try it. A champion dreams of things that haven't been done and believes they're possible. A champion dreams. They welcome challenges with optimism. They get up. They try something different. And they're not afraid of taking a few hits here and there. Henry Ford, he made this observation. He said, if I would have asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Why? Because most people want just a little better of what they've got. What was possible was unknown and unheard of, the automobile. Started thinking through that, oh. As a lost person, if you would have come to me and said, what do you want? I would have said, I want a, a little more pleasure that can lead to a little more fleshly gratification. But all I would have been asking for was more death. What I needed was life that would give me purpose. 
And so when Henry Ford makes that statement, what, what, what do you want? Faster horses. No, 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 no. Praise God, I did not come to the cross Loganville today on a faster horse. Faster horses don't have good AC systems, right? No. But most people stay stuck. What God wants to give each and every one of us is life with purpose and with destiny and with meaning. But how does it happen? I have to resolve that I'm going to be a champion. I have to resolve that I'm going to run the race set before me, glorifying God in such a way that I may win. So here here it goes. Grab your bulletin. The resolve of a spiritual champion or the creed, or the motto of a spiritual champion. Nine simple, profound, life-altering truths. Number one, I will believe. It all starts with belief. So the question posed is, do I really believe what God believes and says about me to be true? Do I really believe God? Now, God has established throughout the pages of the scripture where he speaks to us about our position with him and our identity in him. I have to believe what God says about me. When God calls me a saint, that's who I am. When God calls me a child, that's who I am. When God calls me his friend, that's who I am. When God declares that I'm justified and been made right, that's who I am. When God says that I'm his treasure, that's who I am. When God says that I am the apple of his eye, that's who I am. Now, conditionally, oftentimes my behavior may not represent what God says about me positionally. But when I move into that saying, I believe what you say. Hebrews 11. Verse 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, synonymous kind of words are faith and belief. Now, faith is substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. But for me to say that I believe, what I'm saying is I've been persuaded to action. It's not just some cognitive concept that occupies a little bit of my brain. When I say I believe, I am now persuaded to take action action. So if I really believe what God says to be true, then I'm going to take action. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Those who come to him must believe he exists. He rewards those. He rewards, rewards those who diligently seek him. Don't don't miss this. Not occasionally, not when it's convenient, but when we start to live in a position before God where we diligently, daily are seeking him, he goes, I'm going to reward that. That kind of faith you've got right there, that kind of belief right there, that right there is solid. So here's some of my questions. Even Jesus said in Mark 9, Jesus said all things are possible to him who... So do you believe that God will truly equip you for any task or assignment that he gives you? I got to believe. Do you believe that God can take your impossibilities and turn them into possibilities? Do you believe that God can take the natural and turn it into supernatural? Do you believe that God can transform you from just the logical to the theological? 
I believe. Do you believe that you're more than a conqueror through Christ? I believe. Do you believe that God is truly for you? I, I, I believe. Do you really believe and know without a doubt in your mind that you've truly been born again? Because it has to start with this desperation of the heart, with the motivation of the will, after the agitation of the soul, where I know without a doubt in my mind, I belong to the king. You've got to ask the question, do I really believe God? No matter what my circumstances may look like, no matter what the environment right now may look like, do I really believe that God is for me, period? Once I move into that, it leads me to two. I can change I don't have to stay stuck in this rut of flesh patterns that I've been living out of for years. I can change through the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in my life. Romans 8, 29 says that God, uh, for those that God foreknew, he also predestined to conform them and shape them and mold them into the image of Christ. I have to believe that he who began a good work in me and my heart desires to conform me, shape me, and mold me into becoming the person he wants me to be. I have to believe that I can change. Now, how does this happen? Now, I'm telling you, for me, 30 years in October, I'll, I'll be walking with Jesus. But I had to get to the place where I realized that in Christ, there were certain things I had to put off so that I could put on the new man. Ephesians chapter 4, it drives us home big time. He says, put off your former conduct. The old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Put it off. The deceitful lust, the lying, the manipulating, the hiding, the pretending, the posing. All of that stuff, he goes, put it off, which means I don't have to put that on anymore in Christ. I now have the dunamis of God, the power of God, the dynamite of God inside of me that gives me the ability to say no thank you to sin and to move into deeper intimacy with the Father. Now, now but I've got to put on, listen to what he says, that corrupt, deceitful lust, put, put, that, put that stuff aside, take it off. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed that you may put on the new man which was created in God in righteousness and in true holiness. Now, we have to desire to change. Our culture almost preaches a message that all you've got to do is just pray a prayer and you're fine. No, that, that, that's not the gospel according to Jesus. Salvation that does not lead to sanctification is a devastation message being preached in our society. True salvation is going to lead us to sanctification, being conformed, being changed. Can it happen for all of us? Yeah, we've got to change. We've got to change some things. Now, here, here's just some our thinking, his thinking stuff. Our thinking is it's impossible. Matthew 19, 26 says, with God, all things are possible. Our thinking is, I'm tired. I just want to give up. I can't go on. His thinking says, come to me if you're tired, weary, and knock down, and I'll give you rest. That's what he says. Our thinking says, nobody loves me. Throughout the pages of Scripture, we read, Jesus loves the world. God so loved it that he gave Jesus. I'm loved. Our thinking says, nobody cares. 
First Peter 5, 7 says, cast your cares on me because I care for you. I mean, we've got an incredible friend in Jesus Christ. We, we, we sit around at times going, I just can't go on. I'm, I'm spent. I'm too weak. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, in the midst of my weakness, his grace is made perfect and gives you strength to overcome. You go, I can't figure things out. Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord. He will direct your steps. You can't figure it out? I know one who can. We have to believe it. I can't do it. I can do all things through Christ. I can't afford it. My God will supply all my need. We've got to believe that we can change. Come on. So I have to believe. And I have to know that I can change. You can. If God can change this ragamuffin, he can change you. If God can take me from the ruins of darkness and reprogram and renew me, he can do it to you. If he can use David, he can use you. If he can use Saul, who was killing people, make him a Paul, he can use you. Right? If he can use prostitutes, Rahabs, and others in the boat, he can use you. I believe. I believe I can change. Third truth. Champions, spiritual champions, have resolved that I am loved by God and I can love others. I mean, this is pivotal. A key ingredient in becoming a champion for Christ is being able to receive his love. This gives us the freedom and liberty to grow and mature then to extend that love to other people. Is it possible for you to receive his love? So I'm meeting with this man yesterday. This brother is really knocked down. I don't know how much time he's got. But I asked him, I said, do you truly believe that God loves you? Well, I've heard it talked, and I want to believe it. Why does God not love you? Because you've got to go back over my life. I mean, Bourbon Street, alcohol, immorality, doom, doom, you know, fell marriages, all this stuff. And I said, but let me ask you a question. Was your stuff in sin, in wickedness, in waywardness, was it superior to the crucifixion of Christ? What is stronger? Is your stuff superior and his sacrifice inferior? Or was his sacrifice superior that it trumps no matter how wicked you've been? I said, his sacrifice is so superior that it doesn't even matter for the person who's tried to do good. People don't get saved because they're good or they're bad. They get saved because they're lost and they need to be found. Who does that apply to? Everyone. Who has missed the mark? Everyone. Who has sinned and fall short of the glory of God? Everyone. So whether you've had a needle in your arm or a bottle in your hand or you've been to strip strip joints all your life or whether you've been just this goody two-shoes, you need Jesus all the same. Come on. And when we come to that realization and revelation that we all desperately need to be saved from ourselves, why? Not one person is capable of saving themselves, but there's not one person beyond his grasp. Man, it's powerful. Romans 5, his hope does not disappoint. Hope? God gives hope. The love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who he's given to us. How did you get hope? When I received Jesus. 
Jesus poured his love into my heart, and my heart became hopeful. I can live life now. I got hope that doesn't disappoint. John 13, 34, a new commandment that I give to you. And this is before Jesus is, right before he's washing feet and all this stuff, right? He goes, a new commandment I'm giving to you that you love one another even as I have loved you. This is the new commandment. I mean, this is it. Love others as I've loved you. Sacrificially, gracefully, compassionately, go, go love others. That's what he says in 1 John 3.16. He says, by this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us, we ought to also lay down our lives for others. So, so a champion reaches the place where they go, I know I'm loved by God, and I know I can love others. Number four, a champion then concludes, I am forgiven by God, and I can forgive others. I'm forgiven by God. As far as the east is from the west, I'm forgiven by God. I can forgive others. If I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me of mine. That's right. And cleanse me of all unrighteousness. That's right. I'm truly forgiven by God. I'm no longer a slave. I'm a child of God. He goes on to say in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. And, 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 And here's one of the fundamental problems in the church. When you think your stuff don't stink as bad as the next person, you don't have permission to slander and gossip and dog the next person. And you'll see that happening. It's almost like we've got this comparison mindset. And so when another person fails or struggles or sin, it's not our job to attack them. It's our job to love them, pray for them, and hopefully used by God to see them reach a place of repentance. Brennan Manning, again, one of my favorite writers, he tells the story of Stephen Covey. Stephen Covey, if you've ever read, wrote Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and Other Things. He said Covey shared an incident while taking the subway one Sunday. On a quiet ride through New York City, a man and his children burst onto the train. The children ran wild, shouting, screaming, wrestling while their father made no attempt to intervene. Finally, Covey looked at the father and said, Sir, perhaps you could restore order by telling your children to sit down and be calm. The man paused and looked at him and said, I know I should do something. We just came from the hospital and their mother died an hour ago. I just don't know what to do. Brennan Manning said, our calloused hearts become tender and compassionate when we learn where others weep. When we learn what breaks the heart of another person, oftentimes our judgmental attitude, our condescending ways blocks the manifestation of the glory of God and the relentless tenderness of Jesus from being showered. What hurts you? What hurts you? Some people will lash out. Some people oftentimes come across rude. But can I tell you something? When you stop and go, what are you mad about? 
Why, why are you mad? Well, and then ask it a second time. Because usually you have to ask two or three times before they really get to the core. No, why, why are you mad? And when people start to open up, you go, they're hurt. And hurting people hurt people and wounded people will wound people. Brendan Manning goes on to say, as sons and daughters of Yeshua Jesus, we should be the most non-judgmental yet forgiving people on the planet. What destroys fellowships? What destroys churches? I don't care if it's teenage gossip or if it's 20-year-old gossip or if it's 40-year-old slander or if it's 60-year-old. Doesn't matter. What absolutely destroys the unity of the body? Our reluctancy and inability to extend love and forgiveness. I have been forgiven much. Jesus said, he who has been forgiven much loves much. Champions, spiritual champions believe. They believe that they can change. They believe that they're loved by God and they can love others. They believe that they're forgiven and they can forgive others. They extend grace. Spiritual champions believe that they can control their thought life. Spiritual champions say, I now, based on 2 Corinthians 10, can take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Though I live in the world, I don't wage war as the world does. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, fleshly. They're incredibly spiritually powerful for demolishing Strongholds, I can take every thought captive to the obedience of. Paul would write in Philippians 4. Whatever is pure now, because the peace of God that surpasses all understanding is going to guard your heart and mind. The peace of God, the peace of God, the peace of God that you've got through faith and repentance. You've got peace of God, the peace of God. Whatever is pure, right, holy, and lovely, and excellent, praiseworthy. Whatever is truly pure, whatever is of good report, let your mind dwell. Let your mind meditate on these things. I can do all things through Christ. He's going to supply my need. I got somebody that cares for me, loves me, somebody I can run to. My thinking can change in Christ Jesus. I do not have to stay stuck any longer. Spiritual champions have moved to that place. I can have a renewed Mind, I can now know the things freely given by God. Here's another one. Number six, I can be a difference maker. Through the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit inside of me, we've all been sent into the world to be salt and light as believers. Every one of us, no matter where we're at, we're salt and light. No matter where you're at, if you're glorifying God, He's able to use you to be a difference maker. Need to Breathe has that song, I am a difference maker. And I'm like, yes, I want to be a difference maker. Acts 13, 36 says, for David served the purpose of God in his generation. I'll never forget reading that passage there going, what a profound statement. A guy who raped a woman, killed her husband, lived in sin, repented, 
cries out to God, pins Psalm 51. All of a sudden, he fails forward. He gets back up believing that God could change him, believing that he could be a difference maker, ends up pinning the majority of the Psalms, some of the most brilliant writings you'll find. David, what, what happened with you? I served my generation by glorifying God. I'm like, that would be a great testimony, would it not? I mean, people say, what do you want them to write on your tombstone? He served the purposes of God in his generation. He glorified God, honored God, and pointed people toward God as he worshiped God in his generation. He lived Acts 29, filled with the Holy Spirit, seeing a brand new chapter written in his generation. Anybody want to be a champion? Anybody want to be a champion? You can be a difference maker. Philippians 2 says, God's desire is that you become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you're able to shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of truth and life. Who's going to do it? I'm starting a new series in two weeks called Negotiate. We're living in a society of negotiations. We're living in a society of compromise. We're living in a society where the absolutes of God are being slayed. But you're supposed to shine bright as the stars in the heavens. Don't, don't compromise. Love, extend grace and forgiveness, but don't, but, but don't do that. Why? Because you can be a difference maker. When you go to school, you can be a difference maker. When you go to work, you can be a difference maker. I, I was flying out a few years back, and I'm at the airport, and, and as I parked my car on the grounds there at the airport, I was pulling my bag along, and I saw this guy. I'm like, hey, how you doing? I'm all right. And I just stopped, and I said, just all right? He goes, yeah, just all right. I said, what's up? He goes, man, I'm getting ready to catch a flight to Chicago. My mom just died, and I got to go back for the funeral. I'm like, dude, I am so sorry, man. Do you mind if I pray with you? I would love that. What's up? Having a good day? Everything? Can you do that no matter where? I don't sign... I don't, I don't say that as a spiritual elite statement. I say it just as a ragamuffin walking through life with other people statement. Hey, how you doing? What's weighing you down? That's the reason we pray. That's the reason we have people come forward. We would love to intercede with you. Tell us what's up, how we can pray with you. Seven, I can accomplish great things through Christ. Man. This blew me away. Jesus even said, he who believes in me, the works that I do, greater works than these will he do. What do you mean greater works? I'm going to the Father. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to be inside of you. I, I've only been able to, to just be in one place at one time, restricted in the human flesh. But I'm about to pour out the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to have a body of believers scattered throughout the world. Greater works. I want to be a part of the greater works. Come on. D.L. Moody made this statement. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. 
He says, my prayer by God's grace is to be that man. I'm reading D.L. Moody, an old shoe salesman, who becomes passionately in love with Jesus. And God raises him up at the turn of the century, early 1900s, as a strong voice evangelist to take the good news of the gospel to people. The world is yet to see what God, insert your name, insert your name, insert your name, what God can do through, insert it, if he's really sold out, surrender and, and surrendered and consecrated, do I want to be used by God in such a way? Yeah, you, you may not be famous in the world's eyes, but you can make that Hebrews 11 hall of faith in God's eyes. I want to be a champion. I want to live a life with passion, self-sacrifice and discipline and character. I want to be stamped by the Savior. Eight, I can stand strong in the midst of adversity. When all of hell is coming against me. One of the people I prayed with this morning said, you know, the closer I get with the Lord, basically, and the more I press into Jesus, the more attacks that I'm getting from Satan. Good for you. Because you are pressing into Jesus. But the fight's worth it. The demons in hell are fried right now thinking that you may become a difference maker. Satan wants to take you out of the game. He wants to get you to a place where you're ineffective, where you throw the towel in, where you quit because of the attacks. But adversity is a gift from God. Opposition is a gift from God in the spirit. Back to Ephesians 6. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness in this age. I'm in a fight. Yes, you are. Spiritual warfare is real for the new, converted, born-again child of God. There's this battle in the cosmos. There's this battle in the cosmos, in the heavenlies, in these spiritual places that are above us. There's a battle going on. Satan's already lost. He's been kicked out of heaven. He's trying to rally as many people and take them to hell as he can. We realize that when we read scripture. But there's this battle. And the only way I can overcome and, 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 and a higher achieve, if you will, is that I cannot be conformed to this world, but I got to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. See, where this battle takes place is still under the lordship of Jesus. But when I try to fight this battle in my own flesh and in my own power, I, I, I still don't have the tools. So he says right here, take the helmet of salvation. Take that helmet of salvation and strap it on. You've been delivered from sin. You're delivered to me. The helmet of salvation is a helmet of protection of the mind. Take the breastplate of righteousness. You're declared righteous. Put righteousness on as you get up in the morning. Not egotistical, not self-reliant, but you're righteous. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, shod your feet with the gospel of peace. Walk in the peace of Jesus today. The shalom, tranquility of Christ. Yes. Gird your loins with truth. Yes, I've got to get truth in me. In a world of compromise that negotiates and slays, I've got to have truth. Now take the shield of faith. Faith. 
believe, be persuaded to action, war off the attacks, and then take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Know my Rhema sayings, so that when you're in battle, you can stand in the midst of adversity. When I first got saved, I mean daily, daily, I'm a brand new believer, and I didn't know any better, praise God. But I would get up in the morning, and I had a buddy that put his arm around me and kind of walked with me early on, who was a mentor. He said, pray the armor every morning. Pray the armor every morning. Pray the armor every morning. Before you get out of bed, before you get out the door, just pray the armor. Helmet, breastplate. Girding the loins of the truth, feet shotted with peace, shield of faith, sword of the spirit. Why? Because you're going into a battlefield, not a playground out there. You're, you're going to be used by God. You're going to walk with God today. Be ready. You will not stand adversity and stand in the midst of adversity if you're not clothed in the armor. You will not. So it's a progression, right? I get salvation. I start to walk in his righteousness. I start to walk in his peace. I start to walk in his truth. I start to walk by faith and not by sight. And then I start to walk with the word. Last one. Champions, spiritual champions know that they're victorious in Christ. First John 4, 4 says, you are of God, little children, and you've overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And I memorized that years ago. Did it change you? When I started to believe what God believes about me, and I started to believe that he says, you're more than a conqueror. You're victorious. Yeah, but I just messed something up. You're victorious. Your position will change your condition. Your condition does not change your position. Do what? Because of the position and identity that you have, and now because I have your heart, I'm going to change you from the inside out. Your position and identity is going to start to change your behavior. Really, if Jesus gets the heart, he gets everything. If Jesus gets the heart, he gets the thoughts, he gets the mouth, he gets everything. Your hands, your feet, if he gets the heart. That's why he says, trust in the Lord with all your 